Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Still no baseball. The I feel MLB like we open we, we open the show up with that every time. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts, you know? It's like it's that's what it is, but one of these days it would be nice to say we're we're gonna have baseball. Can that be and, the new and, intro, Frank? Just welcome to the Powder Blue uh, podcast. There's still no baseball. <laughs> I'm Frank Close, and this is Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brewer. How about <laughs> And as we were just saying, that someday we're going to record this and, and on t- at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday, which is, seems to be our, our time at the moment. <laughs> and then by 6 p.m. when this airs on 97.3 ESPN, there will be a deal. You know that's going to happen one Tuesday, right? Always. Of course. <laughs> But yes, my name is Frank Close. This is Jeff Mosher and Hunter Brody with me talking baseball as usual or as has been the case the last couple of weeks talking about a potential return of baseball and little troubling. uh, Would you say it's troubling, guys, the the latest news we have? So Major League Baseball unleashed their latest counterproposal and it has not gone over so well, to say the least. Is that fair to say, Jeff? (laughs) I mean, look, if you've listened to all of us for the last two or three weeks, nothing that has happened has been unexpected. Uh, we've, we have well documented the adversarial relationship between the owners and the players that goes back a long, long time and the mistrust and the, as I, as I think I said last time, it doesn't matter how perfect the document can be. On principle, both sides are going to disagree with it because they can't stand each other. So I expected this. I'm really not surprised that we're we're at this kind of, uh, if you want to call it an impasse, or we've reached this point of, you know, heightened acrimony between both sides. I mean, I, this is basically part and parcel of any discussion that ever takes place in a collective bargaining agreement between the owners and players. Well, there is a positive. There's going to be baseball. I mean, there is going to be baseball. It just depends on what terms. It's going to be a baseball season where they're going to still be going head-to-head with each other, but there's a product on the field. But the positive thing is there's going to be baseball. Well, this is where Hunter and I are probably going to fight, and maybe, Frank, you'll have to kind of intervene and play referee or or just, just take, a, take a side. Out. Well, I would just say, Frank, you should just take a side, one or the other, and then whoever get, whoever side you take wins because you're the the odd man out. I'm not. I've always believed, in, and I say this as baseball is my first love. It's still my favorite sport. It's the sport I've, I've watched baseball since I was four years old. I love it more than any sport. So this comes from the heart here. I believe baseball is different than other sports. It is a marathon type of season and I'm listen I already expected there was gonna be a shorter season we all already know that but a 40 game season to me is not even reflective especially when there's the opportunity to have a longer season at least a half type season 40 games doesn't do it for me that's basically a month of baseball that's like spring training and Hunter I really believe that if this is what it comes down to 40 games and I do believe if it does come down to that, you'll see a lot of players who have that maybe a little bit of an injury decide to take that week off. It's not going to be real. And I have made it this far, and I'll probably take the year off from watching baseball. And I say that as the most ardent baseball fan of all the sports. So I just don't believe that 40 games is better than no games. Wait, does that mean you're going to take the, the season off for this show too? If, if, <laughs> yeah, uh... look, what are you doing here? He didn't think this through, did he? Ah, damn. All right, let's cut this out. Right. No, I'm just going to, whatever you guys say, I'll be like, yeah, you're all wrong. <laughs> well, no, it's just, uh, I'm with you when it comes to, they could have had 80 and they're screwing this up, but I just can't get behind the statement of, I'd rather have no baseball 
than 40 games of baseball. Because, I mean, that's just silly to me. I'd rather have 40 games of baseball. I know that there's going to be an asterisk next to it. It's not going to matter the same or whatever. But 40 games of baseball plus playoffs is better than none at all. It just it well, is. Let's be let's be clear about what. So just for the listeners sake that, you know, the this idea of 40 games. So basically what's happening is the Players Association and Major League Baseball made a deal back in March that they would play for prorated salaries. And the 40 number is kind of thrown out there because I guess the owners say that if they have to pay full salaries on a prorated basis, then they must have a small number of games to ma- minimize their losses. I guess that's the idea behind it. So so basically, sort of, that's the default position that if they can't work out something else, they'll just turn on the season with 40 games left and we will have a very, very minimal season. But let's talk about this latest proposal. There's there's a bunch of stuff to, to pull out of this, okay? So it's not just not just numbers of games that's going to be a um, an issue with this one, uh, but a couple other things which, which are kind of new, and then and then we'll talk about how the Phillies actually could take advantage of this situation uh, in one of our later segments. But uh, but it sounds like here here's here's the latest deal. Major League Baseball proposes that there's a 76 game season that will pay players at 75 percent of the prorated contracts, provided that there is a postseason. If there's no postseason, it'll go to 50 percent of their prorated salary. So they're kind of, they're now finally starting to make some contingencies that they did not do in March, that if this doesn't work out the way they think it will, then they might have to cancel it. So, 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 so we'll, we'll start with you, Jeff, because you're worried about the 40 games. What about 76? Now 76 is to me, and maybe it's because I was mentally preparing for this for a while. That's almost like a half a season, not exactly, but almost like a half a season. And I feel like the season in 76 games can tell you a story from top to bottom. And I feel like the players will not treat a a little muscle strain like a two week injury just because they're mad at the owners. I feel like that'll be a better alternative than 40 games. And not just because there's more games, obviously, but because I feel like in 70 some odd games, you can have a little bit of a season and, um, some kind of climax at the end. You know, I, I, I just feel like it's it's better reflective. I would, I'd be fine with 76 games. The games itself is really just based on the money part of things. I mean, the money part of things is what is going to generate the amount of games conversation because the owners don't want to pay them too much. But we actually had Scott Lauber on 97.3 on Monday, and he put up or he discussed something that was in the writing in the March agreement. So I want to throw this at you, Frank, because this is what it's all about. It's about that about that March agreement. It says that they can discuss in good faith if they play without fans. So they can reassess and discuss in good faith if they play without fans. Now, if that's in the writing, what are the players complaining about? I guess the question is, legally... What does good faith mean? Now, does that say that they they did they specifically say no fans? Because it sounded like before uh, it, it, the, that the if was like an ec- if economics weren't it. So I, well, think I they're, guess they're... this is where all of that comes into play and why it's a little messy. Right. Because if the general statement about economics is not the same as, uh, you know, we expect it to have fans, but there's not. Which, 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 again, I still have trouble understanding that they didn't think that could be the possibility before all this happened. I mean, I get it. This coronavirus stuff is changing by the day. We're learning new stuff all the time. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Is, 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 
baseball saying, well, it was kind of vague, acceptable enough. What do you think about that, Jeff? Is, is that fair enough for baseball to say, well, there's this little caveat. And I don't believe, and, and I'll check with Scott Lauber, but I, I, I don't believe it actually directly said without fans, right? I mean, I could be well, wrong. I've, I thought that they've been planning all sorts of scenarios from the start. And I kind of was under the assumption that when they made the initial agreement back in March, that they were thinking that there probably were not going to be fans, or if there were fans, it was going to be a very limited number. So I have to think that that concept was part already of the quote unquote good faith agreement, which, you know, by itself is a, a very farcical term. <laughs> to uh, describe the really, the kind of talks between owners and players. Yeah, I just, I seem to lean in this situation. Like, normally I am about the players. They should get paid. They should get their money. But in, in this specific scenario, I seem to lean more in the owner's uh, corner wow. than the players because uh, I just think the, these players are so, like, mind-screwed up or w whatever because they want that March agreement. But... The owners, they're the top. I mean, they are the top. They are the ones that can come down with the decision. So if something changes after that March agreement, they have the power to say, you know what? Something changed. And I, I get I that's the reason why the union's in play, but I think they're so stubborn on that March agreement, not realizing what's going on in the world, that they're not they're not budging at all. And they need to budge a bit. They do. I don't I don't first of all, I don't think the players haven't budged. I think in their presentations they've have, they've even talked about um, adding more playoffs, uh, you know, and, and being able to uh, agree to some of the things that the owners have wanted to do. And secondly, I almost hear from you, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Hunter. You almost see, seem to say it doesn't matter that there was an agreement, the owners and the owners, and they control the sport. And I, I don't buy that at all. An agreement is ironclad because it's an agreement. And unlike most companies, this is a 50-50 partnership because there is no baseball without the players, just like there's no baseball for the players without the owners. So I don't think one pa party should have the power over the other. And in fact, if there were to be that case, and I think the NBA has sort of shown that a little bit, the players have more power because they could theoretically maybe start their own league or find different owners who'd be willing to acquiesce to their demands. I mean, that's, that's very long-term thinking and everything like that. But an agreement's an agreement. And the initial agreement was we're going to, you know, agree to a salary cut now for none later and that was signed so owners trying to change the rules now and say well we're the owners we can do that I, that doesn't sit well with me well then if that's the case why is there even some sort of you know argument at all i mean in this and that's why i say this is a weird spot this isn't your standard negotiations where you're talking about just like normal baseball in normal time so i think mm -hmm. you know if, if you work for a business outside of sports and the coronavirus hits and, and you got to reassess your business i mean can you go then and say well look coronavirus happened what we signed in march that's not going to fly because a lot of things change so we are going to have to reassess i mean do you have the power to do that in a business outside of sports that's fair, but do you think a lot has changed about what people thought the what kind of impact people thought the coronavirus would have now as opposed to March? Because I felt when they were negotiating in March, they were trying to look long term. They were trying to even analyze what would happen if they couldn't have a season at all, if they couldn't even do what they're proposing to do now. And so at one point, the owners agreed to this, knowing that maybe there would be no opportunity to play baseball. And now there is an opportunity. 
and they're trying to take more money away. That's almost backwards. It should be like, oh, there is an opportunity. We didn't know definitely that there would be one. So we should pay the players what we agreed to them at a point in which we weren't even sure there was going to be baseball. I will say, though, like back then when things shut down, we we all kind of felt like it was going to be a short term thing, you know, like. Uh, I still have not been to my faculty office where I teach, <laughs> you know, like, like I, I, I don't have books I need for, for uh, summer courses later on and in the fall yet, because things are still not open. I mean, even, even in yellow phase, like at some point I got to make some, some sort of uh, appointment and, and get temperature tested, tested before I get into, <laughs> get onto campus to get to my desk. But I mean, this is this this shutdown has really exceeded everybody's expectations. I mean, is has that fair to say? Was wasn't Italy uh, and wasn't China locked down for three months? Wasn't Italy locked down for two months? I mean, I feel like maybe our patience has has changed, but we're about. I think March fifteenth is when school closed for my daughter, so we're approaching March. We're approaching three months. I mean, th- th- to me, I feel like this was expected, and uh, it's good to see some reopenings are going on, but. All that had to be thought of by the lawyers and the and the smarter people than than all three of us when they originally sat down to come up with an agreement. Yeah, no, no doubt. And and to be fair, I'm not making it seem and like. By the way, these, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Let me just say uh, yeah. one thing that I think is important that I've mentioned in the past, Hunter, is is the health risk. I mean, the players are assuming 100 percent of the health risk here. The owners assume zero. They sit in a box. They don't have to go to the game. They can watch. And I think that that's a big part of the conversation. I mean, maybe players exaggerate that because they want the money, but even if they are, it's, it's the truth that they have to make a ton of lifestyle concessions uh, to be able to make this work. And not only do they make the concessions that lifestyle, but then they also put their health at risk by going out there and trying this when nobody's tried it yet. The NBA and NHL, they're going to look at, they got, they all have, they all have theories on how they can work, but we've not seen it yet applied. Yeah, that's very true. I I was just going to say, you know, it's not like, I understand the owners are trying to get one up on the players and the players are trying to get one up on the owners. Like I'm not happy with either sides, but I just, I personally believe that the players are being a little stubborn with the March agreement thing going, you know what? Like I think someone needs to step up and say, all right, whatever, let's just get out there and make sure that we can get this game going. Because even if they do play this 40 game season, I think because people understand why this is the scenario that it is, like, oh, they're going back to baseball, but this is why the Manfred had to step in and say, you two are playing, it's still going to hurt the game. So someone needs to step up and, and pretty much go out there. Now, with the health risk, you kind of hit, hit it on the head late. I don't know if they really do worry about it. It seems like they're using that as, hey, we want more money because we are at risk. We will play... If it's for the right money, no one seems to really be that worried about it unless the money isn't right. Well, but I do. I, I think, Frank, that they are using it uh, maybe as a, as a, a pawn, but it's mm. it's even if so, it's a real risk. Oh, no doubt. So, you know, they all have families. You have a lot of players who come from other countries, you know, Latin American countries have to travel and uh, go back and forth. And the, the way this thing, the virus is transmitted they're putting their families at risk, you know, so unless let's talk, they're let's talk about that for a second. So the latest proposal does indeed address health. And so according to Jeff Passan of ESPN, it says players deemed high risk individuals. That's the language they use can opt out of the 2020 season and retain their salaries and their service time. And if you're not deemed high risk, you'll receive neither salary nor service. So I guess it, it's, 
it's kind of the idea that you can opt out. And, and by the way, Passon clarifies there is a manual that says somebody by definition of high risk is, is, is the following. It says some individuals may be more likely to suffer severe illness as a result of COVID-19 than others. Individuals who, by virtue of their age or medical history, are at a materially higher risk of complications. So, um, so do, you, do you anticipate then? Is somebody going to sit out? I mean, would, would uh, you know, we, unfortunately, we're, we're talking about the same names, and I don't mean to single them out because, I mean, John Lester, who's overcome cancer, I mean, God bless him. Like, if he wants to play, I mean, certainly let him play. But if he's worried, uh, you know, do you, do you let him do something like that? Sit out. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I think you can let somebody sit out. The question is, how much are you going to pay someone who elects to sit out? I mean, it may may have to be a situation where you say, look, you have the the right to sit out and you won't lose your year. If you're a 10 and 5 guy, you know, we'll still count that as a year, but you're not going to make a salary because at the end of the day, everybody in some form or fashion, is t- whether they're very healthy or whether they have a pre um, uh, predisposed uh, condition, right? They're all taking a risk. So if you're going to play the, and, and take the risk, you deserve to be paid for it as you're supposed to. If you're going to sit out and say, I don't want to take that risk. I think that decision should be respected, but I don't know that you should be able to get your salary as someone who is playing and taking the risk. Yeah, I would have to agree. Now, I, I will find it interesting to see what type of players do sit out because, you know, these lower players who don't get paid as much, say they make $1 million a year. Well, if they sit out, what's going to happen next year if somebody else plays in his spot and ends up doing well? I mean, you're almost potentially giving somebody else an opportunity to take your job down the road. So mm-hmm. I just am curious how people approach this. Yeah, and it's a very interesting question, too, for the team. Like, you set up your team to compete. I mean, the Chicago Cubs without John Lester are, are, are not the same team as if they had. I mean, there are there are uh, ramifications here that are really kind of tough to tough to overcome. I mean, some some teams might just have to be without some of their good players. I mean, it's uh, it's it's scary uh, well, to think about. Well, the same thing can happen. I mean, think about this with the NBA, though. Imagine being in the Eastern Conference Finals and five people on one team test positive, and you're in your, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals. What do you do now? You got to let's just say it's the Sixers, and now you just got your bench starting the game. I mean, that can happen in in all these sports, which is kind of crazy to think about. Well, that's the great unknown part of this, and you know maybe that's what the owners are trying to say that there are so many risks that they could have a a really diminished product, and they want to be insured against themselves. But again, there's risk as there's either health risk or product risk. Risk is risk. And certainly the, the owners seem to be taking the perspective that this represents a financial risk. And it's a shame, it's a shame to, to uh, reduce players and people to financial risk. But, I mean, I suppose that kind of happens throughout the league. Now, last week we were talking about um, you know teams not paying their minor leaguers. I think everybody at this point has been shamed into paying their minor <laughs> leaguers. Yeah, which is, yep, the, guilt, the guilt trip really worked. Which is which is I a mean, good even the athletics, thing. even the cheapest team that are alive <laughs> felt guilty enough to pay minor leaguers. Well, when everyone does and you're the only team, what do you do? You sit there and go, Nope, we're not doing it. We're not yeah. doing it. Well, for the longest time they were the only team to like not spend more than six nickels on a player. So I mean I well, was now surprised that they were finally and, and Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so the the teams without money, there's they're, they're <laughs> you gotta wonder how that affects even even this. I mean 
now now teams can argue that they have even less money than they were supposed to have because they have to pay their minor leaguers. Uh, oh. Whereas they were trying to get out of that. And uh, well, I, I am happy for the minor leaguers that, that they are going to have the opportunity to, to earn an income and, and, you know, is, is modest as it is, they're going to have that opportunity. So, um, so this, at least, at least that is, is taken care of for, for right now. But, um, but just, just to quickly break something down before we get to our first break. So, um, when you look at the total dollars, all right, this this actually is baseball moving forward a little bit. Um, you know, if, uh, you know, Jeff Passan broke it down. Uh, it's one point four three one billion dollars that will be that will be paid, and fifty um, percent of salaries over seventy six games is nine hundred fifty four million dollars. Payment to players if there's a postseason three hundred ninety three million dollars. Bonus pool for the playoffs fifty million dollars, and forgiveness on the MLB. $170 million advance that they made back in March to get players some, some money to, to move forward. So, so this is uh so in terms of total dollars, MLB has moved forward, but here's the question. Even if they, they are adding total dollars, will they ever get around not paying the prorated amounts to the players? I don't think they, I don't think the players are going to move for anything, anything. They want that. They are set on that. And that's why I think, you are just going to get the season that Manfred came down with, where it's going to be that 40-50 game season, and and that's where it's probably going to go. And it's it's in the owner's favor, I guess. Like, what do they have to do at this point, other than sit back and if they're okay with that 40 to 50 game season as owners, they really don't have to do anything. The ball's in the court of the players if they're not going to like it, right? So, you know, well, that's the bluff. That's the big bluff. Is it really? Do you really believe that the owners stand to make more money? in a 40 game season than a 76 game season, because they're going to lose money per, per game, which is what they're saying. I have a real tough time believing that, you know, I don't know for sure. I have to believe that TV money is going to be very good for them because as we saw at the NFL draft, when you're, when you're, yeah, but what if, you know, not to cut you, you off, but game, yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, you're going to have NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, football. I mean, the masters golf. I mean, you name it, tennis coming back. How are they going to be able to compete regular season-wise with stuff like that? Maybe the TV isn't going to be as popping as we think. Well, I'm still thinking that a 76-game season that starts in July um, is July and August. So 90% of what you watch, there's not going to be competition from football. So there'll be some basketball, uh, obviously, and there'll be some hockey. I, I, but the the beauty of baseball is that it's an every-night sport as opposed to even the NBA, which, well, when they get to the playoffs can be every night, but some be West Coast games. Like here in the East Coast, we'd be able to watch our teams and then maybe a, a night NBA game. I don't think it's as going to be as hard for them to compete for the eyes of the consumer as if maybe they were to start off in September or October. All right, well, we have much more to break down. More expanded playoffs, even beyond what we talked about last time. That's something being proposed right now by by ownership some ramifications for the draft and the end of the qualifying offer, at least for now, lots more to talk about. This is the powder blue podcast, Frank close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody back after this. And we are back with the powder blue podcast, Frank close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. And we're talking about the latest MLB proposal to return to play. We already kind of talked about the money factor and the, and, and the players, but there's, there's a couple other things that are new in this proposal. And, you know, when we talked last week, we were talking about seven teams in each league making the playoffs. Well, guess what? They, they are proposing 
eight game, eight teams in each playoffs, and almost a new format to the playoff field. Now, this is this is really really interesting here. So, uh, according to this, again, eight teams from uh, each league are going to make the playoffs, and they're planning for a <laughs> a playoff tournament, almost like the field of 64 except that will be eight and eight so i guess the elite eight from each teams will be playing one another but they're actually going to seed it the the one seed plays the eight seed the two seed plays the seventh seed etc and a best of three first round playoff that's a lot of extra playoff games and that's that means more than half of the teams are going to make the playoffs Jeff Mosher, is that really playoff baseball if more than half the teams make it? Oh, man. Am I about to have a get-off-my-lawn moment? <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Well, first, do you guys want the good news or the bad news? Give, give me the bad news. The first. bad news? The Phillies are still not in the playoffs if we base this <laughs> off of last year. The good news? Well, there's a three-game series, so you don't have the one-game wild card. what if. At least there's a series for all these teams to try and compete. Yeah, I, I mean, man, you're adding three extra teams for each league into the playoffs from what you already have. With well, although I guess it's changing anyway, right? Well, they were like they right were now. At it's seven. five. Yeah, they were at seven with some extra wild cards, but this is this is a straight tournament, so every team plays I, after the season ends. Yeah, baseball is not a tournament sport. I, it just isn't. I don't like it. I'd have to live with it. I don't like it. I, there's really I, not I, much more to expand on. I just, I just don't like I it. I have it's so many interesting baseball. thoughts because in the NHL, you could be the eighth seed and still win a Stanley Cup. You've seen it many, many times. In basketball, you have no shot. Now, in baseball, say the New York Yankees have 112 wins and they play a, a team like the Texas Rangers who would squeak in based off of last year. They'd be the last seed in the AL. They finished with 78 wins. Could they not win a series in three games? I mean, the Phillies lose to the Marlins every single time they play. So I think if you're an eighth seed, you can knock off the New York Yankees in round one. But then the problem is, who the hell cares about the Rangers in the next round compared to the Yankees getting another series, right? So, I mean, talk about people not tuning in after that upset. That would be a problem. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll, it's interesting. That's that'll all. basically come down to the starting pitching. I mean, if you have Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, I mean, if... if Again, in a small sample size, if, if if we're talking 40 games, I mean, Jake Arrieta, even though he's older, maybe he's got the stamina to get through the season. I mean, that three that that three man rotation. I, hey, after 40 games last year, Arietta was doing pretty well. You can't you can't you can't deny the number. Right, so those of you know, listening, Hunter is just shaking his head. OK, so anti Arietta at this point, that's all. But my like, point is, you can easily let's say even the two of them, you add a starter in a trade. Like if that's if there's actually trades happening during the season, I mean, it's pretty easy to to set yourself up to be competitive during a a quick tournament like that. So um, yeah, it, it's almost like you know someone who's someone who's who's not doing so well because their four and five starters aren't aren't the greatest in the world. They might have a shot at this. I'm not a big fan of delegitimizing the division which would happen when you do that. And, you know, if you're the, the Yankees, as Hunter brought up, you win 110 games and you're the Red Sox and you win 105, you could be the number two seed Red Sox ahead of whoever won the AL Central and the AL West. I don't like that because then then what's the point of having divisions at that point? I, mm. Well, the I, other side is there's sometimes – I'm only drifting division, too far away. Yeah. The yeah. other side of that is sometimes there's people who win the division with like 
90 games, and then there's right. a wild card team that has 106, and they get screwed. But I, I lean your thought process on this as well. Yeah, I mean, we, I, you know, I don't want to get to the point in which baseball and the structure as we once knew it is totally gone. I don't think it's necessary to make that change. You know, I don't, I don't know that that it opens up a whole lot more enthusiasm for the sport. A baseball is a marathon sport. I've probably said that ten times already in this in this uh, podcast. And and the idea of playing a three game series against anybody in a one eight where all we've seen in baseball playoffs sometimes guys just catch lightning in a bottle and get on fire and can power a series and to lose in the first round because that happened because you only played three games instead of five or seven when baseball is a much more five or seven type game sport where the true colors and your true talent is is manifested i, I don't like the gimmicky nature of it at all well it's about the money right i mean i guess the idea behind this is you can actually make up for some of the lost revenue and help you have a season yeah, and, and speaking of money, when you look at the teams that would have made it based off of last year, we have the New York Mets, so factor in the New York market. You have the Chicago Cubs, factor in the Chicago market. Cleveland Indians, I mean, look, they have a very passionate fan base, and the fact that they didn't even make the playoffs last year with 93 wins, imagine if that happened here, we'd be going crazy. And then the Boston Red Sox as well. So, I mean, you're talking about four huge baseball markets that are mm -hmm. now sneaking into the postseason, and you're getting that type of revenue. So there's a difference between talking about this as, as an alternative to this year with the lost coronavirus, right? And then as a permanent moving forward idea for baseball. If it has to be done this year, much like everything else I've said, I will watch. <laughs> I'll just watch with spite. You, you better. Uh, we need to record you. this. I know, right? It's of been, course, I have been to. 30 minutes, he's already flip-flopped into watching. I knew. <laughs> well, I realized I still want to be part of this podcast. <laughs> but I mean, I my my fear is that this would like percolate in the minds of owners. Hey, look at all those markets that Hunter just mentioned that we've got watching baseball. Let's try to implement this long-term. And I would not want to see that. Yeah, you know, even Philadelphia, like I think that the Phillies would have a real shot next year. I mean, I know they didn't add the second starting pitcher we thought that they were going to do. But I mean, if you look at the Phillies roster, if you're talking a shortened season with Aaron Nola and, and um, um, Zach Wheeler and hey, maybe Spencer Howard is the one who catches lightning in the bottle. I mean, that's enough. Frank, to make everybody, everybody in that scenario has a real shot you got 16 teams making it but then that you got four or five teams that thought they were going to make it and didn't fell a game or two short that's like 80 percent of the league at that point well <laughs> maybe that's good maybe it's good that you have everybody thinking they have a shot i mean that that you know and maybe you have some more competitive baseball i mean if it's only going to be a small sample size it's nice to have everybody think they have a shot i mean let's face it how how far behind is the how, how many games will be the swing in a 40 game season or even a 76 game season from first place to last place. Like you, what you might be five games out of first place. Yeah, I mean, that's, probably that's not much more than that. Right. So, I mean, everybody's going to feel like they're in it. I mean, even, even, you know, we've seen it all the time. Like you're you're basically saying now that a 500 team is going to make the playoffs. Now, if, if you're, if you're even the Miami Marlins and maybe you're six games under 500, you can win four in a row. And, and then all of a sudden you're relevant again. So, I, I, at least if we yeah, know they all have to do is play the Phillies. Yep, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually heard a pretty interesting conversation about this. If, if this is the scenario that's played out where it's the shortened season, if the Marlins win the world series, 
most people would think, oh, they only won because of the shortened season, right? But if the Yankees win the World Series, is it, well, I mean, the Yankees won. They would have probably won anyway. Like, how is it viewed then if a team who normally has 100-plus wins, who normally goes deep into the playoffs, how is it viewed then compared to if a team that normally has no chance in hell winning actually wins it? I feel like it's, it's totally looked at in a different way. Yeah, I would probably agree with you on that. I think just people will just form their own opinions and valid or invalid, they're going to have their own opinions. Yeah, the Yankees will add it to their list. And I can't even stand that list, by the way. Yeah, the the, the World Series that were won in 1862. Yes, don't bring that one up. 1735. <laughs> no one cares about those. I can't yeah, stand all, the All Yankee the rings list. the Cowboys have, right? You know, yeah, that's, that's well, a constant thing we the, hear about. The Yankees <laughs> are even worse, though. Like, don't get me wrong. I can't stand the 90s Cowboys thing. But it was the 90s. These Yankees fans use rings from, like, 1469. It's ridiculous. If, if your team had 20 rings, you'd be flaunting that just like everybody no else. No way. <laughs> no way. Frank's losing his mind. He's not even drinking at this time of the day. He's cracking coffee. up over there. Oh, you, well, oh you're drinking a cold it. one at 10 a.m.? This is it's coffee. A, oh, okay. Spirit, listen, I don't spirit know. clock somewhere, Frank. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> listen, every time I see you, you got a cold IPA in your hand or something. I just figure it doesn't matter. that We could do this at 7 a.m. There you go. You got it. Oh, my. <laughs> Where do we go from here, guys? Yeah, that's a great. Well, let, let's talk about something else, which is one of the one of the other proposed things here, and that is temporarily suspending quality, you know, qualifying offers for players. So, uh, under the old system, or I say old system, it's only been in for a few for a few years. If a team extends a qualifying offer to a player, aka offering them a, a one year salary, which is, uh, I think, it's the average of the top twenty percent in baseball. I, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. I could be right. I could be wrong. But um, that has been a major inhibitor of teams signing free agents. How many times did we hear last year for the Phillies? Oh, we're not in on him because that it'll cost us a draft pick. Well, if they suspend that, a team like the Phillies who has some money, they can go to town and not worry about losing any draft picks. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts about that? So JT Real Muto then, another, actually, this could hurt the Phillies too. If, if Real yeah. Muto is not going to cost a draft pick, maybe more teams yeah. will be in on that. That, that rule is in place for a reason. And the reason was for a long time, free agency was only favoring the, you know, the elite spenders of the league, five or six teams. You, we can name them all the time. So to get rid of the rule may help certain players get pay, like it's oh, to me, it's like the franchise tag in football, but it makes a big deal about it. It affects like mm. less than 1% of the entire uh, NFL population of players. So you get rid of this. Yeah. Some extra players get paid out to a zoo, but I don't think it has any type of great impact over the course of a league and of, of a player's union. Yeah, I would have to agree. I did think about JT Real Muto, though. You know, there probably will be some squads that have more interest now that this is in play. And I would love to think that they're going to nail him down and keep him here in Philadelphia, but I just don't know. I mean, at this point, there's so much going on that I think maybe that's fifth or sixth on the list of what the Phillies are trying to do right now because they're working their way to get product on the field. But, um, you know, if they let him hit free agency, and I think we actually did a pod earlier in the offseason about that, and I was fired up because I said, just get the deal done. Why are you beating around the bush? The longer they continue to do that, I really do feel deep down there's a chance they lose him after giving up Sixto Sanchez. Imagine losing JT, still not making the playoffs with 16 teams. <laughs> oh, 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 it's going to be crazy. Well, but then they signed that... Mookie Betts. Oh, okay. All right. Now we're talking. 
I will say this. They could be talking behind the scenes and they're just not allowed to do it. I mean, they're not allowed to make transactions. I mean, so maybe maybe they're just sort of having casual conversations off to the side. And then when, when things resume, they'll be ready to get something done. So we don't know that. Um, but but again, I, I, I make the point, too, that if they're going to take a revenue hit this year, other te- that's going to take some teams out of the running. And so hopefully that would cause Real Muto to maybe consider signing a deal sooner than later so but yeah you're right you could phillies could be in on some other whether it's mookie bets or not i don't know but they could be in on some other players without having to worry about offering a draft pick when they do so and then again that's a major factor for the phillies as they've been trying to reboot their their minor league system um but when we come back we have one more segment left there there are a couple couple things that are that could benefit the phillies in terms of the minor league system and that is the shortened draft But we'll talk about that in a second. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. And welcome back to the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. We're talking Major League Baseball and a couple of things that will specifically affect the Phillies going forward. And and one of it is the draft. All right. So we know there's going to be a shortened uh, 2020 season. We know that this year's draft is going to be shorter. And so... uh, one thing that's going to be pretty interesting that kind of is coming out of this, and, and this is this comes from uh, Kylie McDaniel of ESPN. The March agreement said this. In the event that each club plays less than 81 regular season games in 2020, the office of the commissioner shall have the right, after conferring in good faith with the MLB Players Association, to modify the draft order. Hmm. What do you think could come of that? And why do you think that's even there to begin with? That You know, the draft already went from 40 rounds to 20 rounds, right? We already talked about that. They reported that in March. But now somebody could mess with the draft order. What possible benefit could there be to that, Jeff? Well, I I can only think that maybe they worried, like, if a team starts off 0-10 in a 40-game season, that they pack it in and try to tank for the top draft pick, although in baseball, I can't, you know, the top draft pick, how often is that guy even, you know, we're waiting for the major league Mickey Moniac though. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, I guess just to put it into that case where it, it could happen, or what if you're like the Yankees in Hunter's, you know, um, scenario and you win the most amount of, let's say you go 35 and five, that'd be crazy. Right. But you lose in the first round of the playoffs. Do you deserve the, the the first overall pick or a top five pick because you lost that early in the playoffs, or do, should you be treated like the thirty five and five team and still get the last pick in the first round? I I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out why, as you you talked about Frank, why you would correlate uh, this season to the draft and having the commissioner have to intervene. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think if you put it in that way you would have to find a way for medium ground. I mean, this is kind of just, look, we can't have that scenario where the Yankees are 0-10 and they pack it in, although I can't imagine that ever happening in that city. I would be ruthless. But, you know, teams might have that mindset. And then, yeah, it would be bad. But what if that team who's 35-5, and let's say, they're not really a 35-5 and team. That's just what their record is, you know? It's not like every year, say, the Kansas City Royals are 35-5, and even if it happens in this shortened season. So should they still be in play for a higher draft pick? Because we know they're not really talented. I guess it's just a way to, to make it as even as possible because they know that 40 games is a sprint and it doesn't tell a full story. But how do you... How do you there's so much 
gray area there. Like, I, I don't know how you could mess with the draft order and, and somehow people think that it's fair. Like, I, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like, well, you might turn it into a lottery system. It doesn't mean that the commissioner is going to assign each individual team's draft spot. He just may come up with a different method of deciding who picks where. Yeah, like, oh, I like the Phillies. I think I'm going to put the Phillies number one this time. I don't think it, you know. <laughs> I don't think it'd be that extreme. But all right, so let's talk about that idea. The idea of a lottery system. If you are the team that lost the most, I mean, let's face it, some teams are not well built to win this year. Like maybe you were kind of counting on that draft pick that you would ultimately get. Like, like, wouldn't you have an argument that you got screwed? I mean, even if the the they start going with the ping pong balls and they don't bounce your way, I mean, that's that seems to me like that that that's going to lead to some teams being pretty upset. I think teams are going to be upset. Like, let's say you're the Astros and you start off like twenty and two. All right, uh, you know they have a lot of talent, but then somebody gets stricken with the coronavirus and all of a sudden it's spread and 10 guys on the Astros who are starters, you know, all have to sit out and all of a sudden they just bottom out and collapse. Are they going to get the top pick in the draft because, you know, because they lost all of their next games. And I know this is a crazy scenario, but I think this is what they had in mind with such a short season that the coronavirus itself could wipe out an entire team that's really good and really talented. And would they really deserve the first pick in the draft because the coronavirus just happened to hit them at the worst time compared to other teams? I'm not sure that that's fair either. And I think that there would be outcry uh, among the league if a team as talented as the Astros or the Yankees or the Red Sox or whatever just got zapped by injuries or the virus and then was rewarded with a, a top draft pick afterward while other teams like the Pirates or Royals or whatever may be fine, but just not that good and want that pick as well, or, you know, be deserving of that pick as well. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I, I like the way that you put it in perspective of with the coronavirus, because that is something that can totally happen. And now it, it pretty much comes down to they don't value, just like all of us, don't value what happens in 40 games to tell a story on what a team really is. So with that being said, they can't rely on what happens in these 40 games to determine where you're going to pick because it might not actually be what the team's identity is. So with that being said, you, you have to do something different. You can't just go with the standard flow of it. Right. And and I, I would imagine that this case that we're discussing is very, it's probably not going to be an issue. And the, I, I would think that the commissioner probably won't have to step in and intervene. Right. But I like the idea that they're at least thinking ahead to say something crazy may happen that kind of throws off our normal competitive balance. And we just want to have somebody who can kind of restore that, that balance or make sense of it all and, and even things out. Yeah, but, but couldn't you argue though, that like the current system is set up well for the team that might, you know, it's kind of like their recompense. If let's say a couple guys get, get the virus and then they, have, they can't play. And so the team kind of falls off. So then, wouldn't the draft order as it is sort of in a way sort of compensate them for the fact that they had bad luck? Yeah, but is the Astros, you know, uh, I don't know if bad luck is a good argument in this scenario, right? I mean, what is what is the team? The Yankees. If this happened to the Yankees, like the Yankees are a good team, no matter what happens in this year because it's so fluky, it's so 
odd. I don't know if you can say, well, because in this fluky odd year, something went so wrong in the middle of the season that they should get the first pick and then they can build their franchise up even more. You know, the way you look at it is I, I think you're looking at it with the teams that are so bad that they are banking on this pick and they're really hoping it. And those are the teams getting screwed. And, and sadly, there's a possibility they get screwed, but there's also a possibility that they still land the first pick. So, yeah, it's it's not going to be fair for everyone. There's just no way to make it fair for everyone. But I do like the way that they approach this. It does make sense. All right, well, there's something. speaking of the draft, there's something we need to talk about. Wednesday, the draft begins. This is the first time ever. I have no idea what the Phillies are going to be doing. I have no <laughs> idea who they could possibly select. <laughs> and basically, it's because... People didn't play their last year of college ball. Some they didn't play their last year of high school ball. This this is a total crapshoot, I will say. This year, I I really have no clue what who the Phillies might even be looking at. Uh, why even do this Frank, draft, Frank? I got a question for you. Do you when if, when the draft is on baseball draft? Are you stoked? Do you get like I can't wait to sit down and watch this draft? Like, do you love it that much? I'm just curious. Be careful how you answer this, Frank. Yeah. We are judging. Yeah. <laughs> you look, I, I look to see who the Phillies pick, no doubt, but when the Padres are on the board and they're picking some dude from TCU, I don't give a damn. I don't. Or, or, or Buena Vista High School in uh, right. Texas. You know? but, no, but, like, people, like Frank, the diehard, I love it, which I'm a diehard baseball a- guy, but there's a different level of diehard baseball guys. You seem to be the draft guy. That's all. Here's the thing, like beyond the first couple picks, I mean, usually after that, it's still kind of a crapshoot. I mean, like how many of the, the top or the, the whole first round, right? <laughs> Aren't how the many first of couple of picks out? a crapshoot? What's that? I always thought all I thought all the picks were a crapshoot, not just because of the draft, but in baseball, we see all the time, even the first 10 picks. I mean, how of them actually right. become I mean, good like, players? Like, you know, people get excited about the prospects from the first. I mean, let's say, all right, let's let's go back a few years. Adam Hastley, 26. Six, fifth, 17, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he looks like he's a very decent player. He's by no means probably going to be a superstar, we, right? I mean, is that fair to say? He looks like he's going to be a nice, solid major leaguer. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's who you get. I mean, the superstars usually come up out of nowhere. Um, you know, I mean, think about, think about, uh, think about 2009, like Mike, where Mike Trout got drafted, right? I mean, like, uh, you know, he got drafted, what, 20th overall? I think it was something, yeah. something. Something, I think I'm in the right range. But yeah, it was in the 20s, I believe. Yeah, so, so the Phillies, are, yeah. Phillies are picking in the middle, uh, you know, so who they get to pick depends on who's there on the board at that point. So, I mean, it's 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 really hard to say here. And, and, so and does, I, and that, I, does that mean you sit in front of that TV with that cold beer ready to rock and roll MLB Network when the draft comes around? I want to know. I want to know if you have an alarm set on your phone that says, MLB draft starts in 15. <laughs> I'm sure it'd be like last year when they drafted Bryson Stott. I, I'll, I'll be paying attention, but no, I'm not. I'm. This is not an event. Okay. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I honestly, I paid. I paid closer attention when they had the first overall pick in 2016, but we, I knew that wasn't a strong draft to begin with. So you know, it's, 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 it's. It doesn't get you that same level of excitement like in football or, or the NBA, where you know they're going to make an instant impact on your team. It just doesn't happen in baseball, but, but yeah, there it's is a good a answer. This yeah. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> we won't have to like publicly flog you. Good answer. <laughs> good answer. But there is a draft this week. And, and, you know, I looked at a couple mock drafts, but you know, you know, there's, there's, there's one name that's thrown there as a high, a high school pitcher named Nick Bitsko, but they didn't get to watch him pitch this year. So 
there's gonna this this is this one's gonna be a real wild card. It's you, you have to go by your scouting like from last year. <laughs> like who did you think was gonna be talented in the following year? And then right. you know taking high school players, there's there's so much more time involved in developing them. You know you don't feel the impact anytime soon. So this is a very interesting draft in that we don't know what's gonna happen. Now beyond that, there's a new rule this year with the shortened draft. You can sign an undrafted free agent for twenty thousand dollars. A team like the Phillies, here's their chance to really clean up, right? So we all know the Oakland Athletics don't have the money to pay their minor leaguers, or so they claim. I assume they're not going to be signing many minor league free, uh, you know, undrafted free agents. This is an opportunity for the Phillies. What do you think? Yeah, but I mean, if we already talk about the idea of drafted players not, you know, being a very low percentage, what are the odds that you're going to really hit a home run on an undrafted free? I mean, it's cool. You're right. They can capitalize there, but, uh, that's not going to make me run to the uh, the old websites to find out which undrafted free agents the Phillies are signing. Hey, if you if you want to spend two hundred thousand dollars, grab ten guys just to see what happens. I mean, the Phillies can afford yeah. to take that risk, right? Well, one more thing I want to say before we close out: one piece of news which is unfortunate. Sir Anthony Dominguez was finally allowed back in the country. Yes, because of travel restrictions, thanks to the virus, he was in the Dominican Republic. He's finally going to get his Tommy John surgery now ish mm. which means it probably knocks him out for most of next year too but this is the time to get it though no i mean th- this would be the time to get it, it, it i mean it, realistically it was back then it and they screwed it up March when it was right but i'm just saying now you see chris archer he's going through the same thing and i was kind of thinking do you see guys maybe doing things now because like most was stating they might pull a hammy they might do this do you think some players might go, you know what, screw it. I'm going to get some type of surgery that I might possibly need now to kind of make a statement. Chris Archer oh, yeah, is not a Tommy John. Tommy John, there's long-range implications. No, so I know. I, I'm just saying in general. Did I say Chris Archer was getting Tommy John or just surgery in general? No, no, just surgery. I yeah, mean, yeah, like, yeah. He wasn't if you're Chris Tommy Archer, John, that no. makes a lot of sense because right. you, know, you still don't know what the season's going to be. But, you know, things that are things that are such long-range, it just, it just really it's a shame for the Phillies that he didn't have this surgery in March and that – you know, had he not been looking for the extra opinions, um, things, things he might have been ready next spring. But now you mean March of 2019, correct? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, this right. has been this has been an ongoing problem. But unfortunately for him, he's probably not pitching next year either. I mean, and if he what does, he it'll be late from in the season at, at this point. I mean, he's he's become the Phillies version of Yoenis Cespedes. It's like, you know, he exists. You just hear stories, but you're not really expecting to see him on the field maybe ever again. It's a no, shame, it's not... though, because when he was playing, he was pl- uh, playing pretty damn definitely. well. Definitely. As long as he's not chasing wild hogs or whatever it was that Cespedes did. And <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, hopefully by next week when we chat, there'll be something in place and we can start talking about baseball teams <laughs> and players and games. <laughs> But anyway, it was a good time talking with you guys, and uh, we'll be back next week. This is the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Hunter Brody. Be safe. Have a great week.